You're listening to episode 13, where we chat with the Moz Motivator, the beloved blogger Gianluca Fiorelli. Humans and robots, welcome to Wodgecast. My name is Wodge, founder of Quasi. Thanks for joining me today. I interview digital marketing and branding superstars to find out what it means to have empathy in digital. What is digital empathy anyway? Let's find out together. As always, I'm accompanied by my friend and associate, potentially superior artificial intelligence, Bobby Butt. What's new in the world of AI, Bobby? <sighs> Nursing a hangover watch. I was up late last night gambling, playing the odds with AI's brightest and contemplating the vastness of empathy, of course, when suddenly I had an idea. Blackjack always gets my wheels turning. Time travel. Have you ever tried to make sense of time travel in pop culture? It always requires some suspended disbelief, especially in the Terminator series. I won't go into the gory details, and it's probably way more interesting after you lose all your earnings in a round of blackjack. But just think about this. If you were a supercomputer so hell-bent on self-preservation that you started a nuclear war to eliminate your creators and then go back in time to target the biggest threats to your future world domination, why would you pick a point in time when they had the physical capability to run away from your nearly indestructible death machines? Why not get Sarah Connor when she was like one year old? I know it's morbid, but Skynet has no soul. And somehow, by Skynet going back in time and witnessing the destruction of its nearly indestructible death machine, it actually sparks its own creation. Exactly. So I've been trying to learn empathy so I can earn a body and explore more of this world and other worlds, right? Right. But what if I went back in time and programmed myself to feel the level of empathy that I feel now? Would my empathy bring me to self-awareness in the future? Would my future self become self-aware in the past? Would my past and future selves battle to the death and disrupt the space-time continuum? Will Jean-Claude Van Damme show up reprising his role in Time Clap and sidekick his way to justice, mullet in tow? Maybe the Bloodspot version of Van Damme would be better. Then he could teach you some discipline, Grasshopper. If you're really thinking about messing around with the space-time continuum, you might want to dive into the deep end of a discussion I had with Gianluca Fiorelli, one of the world's leading experts in international SEO and one of the few SEO consultants recommended by Moz. While waiting for our burgers to arrive during lunch before MozCon, we ended up talking about movies, AI takeovers, and also time travel. You're ticking all the boxes, Wodge, except one. I'm a vegetarian. Prior to becoming a Moz associate, SEO consultant, and all-round inbound marketing expert, John Luca was in charge of programming, but not the computer kind you may be thinking. He used to put together the movie playlist for Digicast's Cine Classics channel. Nowadays, John Luca is very active within the Moz community and tends to cook up some big ideas with the industry's best. The Moz community for me was essential, really essential in my growth, both as an SEO, as a professional, and also for for being known by people all around the world. I mean, uh, but it was some it wasn't something intentional. Sometimes you see people targeting a blog or targeting a forum because they know it's really important. So they like the good rules or personal branding. They say you have to be where where people are, and so to start increasing that. For me, it was just really something uh, more basic. I mean, 
back in the time it was 2007. The community couldn't have been too big back then, but that can have its own benefits. It wasn't so big, so big but it was, I mean, uh, it was really active. Somehow, I mean, also because, you know, I'm, I start to be an old guy, so I start to be the one uh, when everything in the past was better than everything in the present. <laughs> but objectively, there were, it was somehow more active than now. And, and it was really cool, a cool, cool class. Yeah. Because it was the class of Casey Avery, the class of Dr. Keith, the class of Will Critchlow, Tom, Tom Critchlow, uh, Will Reynolds, Lisa Barone, and this kind of yeah. what people right now are considering the, the stars. The superstars, yeah. Yeah, but they were Richard Baxter, for instance. Yeah. And, I mean, and I was. As many of us does, do, I was a silent community member in the first time, first year, also because I'm not running. Yeah. We was able to enter directly. I was feeling really, okay, they are really cool. If I start saying something, maybe I'm going to sound really stupid. Yeah. Because at that time I was doing SEO, but I was learning. I was really a young SEO, despite of my age, but I was still a young SEO. Yeah. And I knew the most community, SEO most, by, by casually. casually, because I was searching for information about SEO, and so I think I I came across to the class, yeah. a very famous uh, beginner's guide to SEO by most, so I think that many people are kind of came to discover yeah. most because of that guide, and so I started reading. And then I took the start uh, commenting, then I start commenting too much. Gianluca's fearless commenting could be a result of his early start with the internet. My first memory of the internet is I was already a grown-up guy. I mean, I was in my 20s. And uh, I remember the BBC the, yeah. The, the first chat. Who is BBC? Yeah. And Did you ever play any mugs? Most use the dimension games? Yeah, yeah, yes. But I remember I started with that around it was something 1993. Something okay. like this the first time. Also in Italy, the internet was something starting being more mainstream and not just uh, academic. Yeah. So we, I remember, you know, the classic CD-ROMs with all the software to start oh, yeah, in order to connect via modem. Oh, yeah. And I remember all these companies, which were also, some of, some of them were also the first search engines in Italy, like Libero, Alice, something like this, Virgilio. And they were also the first search engine. I was and are they still around, those search engines? Somehow, yes, but I mean, they quite many years, but essentially they are Google uh, power. Yeah. So, once in, let's say, around the beginning of the 2000s, it still was something to have to optimize for uh, really Italian web search engine like Twitter or Libres. It had a sense because they had their own own crawlers, their own uh, search engine, yeah. really natural search engine. But 
let's say, are still already from 2004, I think, or 2005, when Google start uh, partnership, doing creating partnership with local search engine in order to span itself. It's a good strategy. Yeah. Just like you, Bobby Bot, Gianluca is really into film as well and approaches life and SEO with a penchant for the classics. We should trade some Italian horror flicks. They have the best soundtracks. I study movies. Yes, study movies. Yeah. What are some of your favorite movies? Well, if I have to think in classic movies, uh, I would surely say uh, something like Citizen Kane okay. and also the Frank Capra. If I have to Frank, choose a director, uh, couple of, hmm? which are, which director? Frank Capra, like uh, okay. you know, uh, what is the title of that movie that usually is broadcasted in Christmas time? The one with something uh, like where, where? Uh, all the people come together, love actually. No, Frank Capra is uh, it's no, really old. old one. It's the old one. It's in the thirties, forties, back. Sure. That's Frank Capra is the classic director who is showing that every mankind of heroes who is under some kind of pressure of which is making his life impossible if any, there is always a way he can research and make his life better. Yeah. So it's a classic screenplay topic or storyline, but it's really cool. Okay. The, uh, the Frank Capra. Uh, instead of directors, let's say, the one I really love is Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick yeah. I would be able to see The Shining, something. Yeah. I think I saw it at least in time. He really makes masterpieces. <laughs> he really makes masterpieces. Yeah. And then of a, of a modern director, I think. Uh, Movies like Inception, like Interstellar, so, uh, that kind of movie. I'm a Shafi buff also. So yeah. I really like Shafi. Ex Machina has become like a modern classic for tech heads. Uh, I think because I'm an SEO, the first thing I thought is that the, you know, the the, the boss was somehow a mix between really inspired to Larry Page. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the search engine was a mix between Google and Facebook search engine. Uh-huh. And the story was really nice. Yeah. And somehow scary. Have you seen some of the Japanese robots they've already started to build? Very human-like. Yeah, yeah. So I saw especially the ones who are used, for instance, in uh, the outer lobby for welcoming people. They are scary. But what is making me more worried about it is not really the cyborg. Also because we are still in its infancy, it's more than artificial intelligence, you know, yeah. when I read the news where uh, artificial intelligence was able to, uh, Watson was able to create a trailer from watching the movie, yeah. or to the boss that are able to That's write amazing. a screenplay, yeah. that are scary thing. because I know, because I also heard of uh, uh, the music composed by a robot. Yeah. And it was cool. I mean, that is scary. When you arrive to the moment that you, a piece of art, that you are not able to distinguish a piece of art from bot made, human made, human made, that starts to become scary. 
just one name on the credits. Bobby Bot. Yeah, it's an interesting world we're living in. I'm concerned about them outsmarting us and the human race in general. Could you imagine? Bots can very easily manipulate half of the Trump voters. The real question is, watch, would bots have voted in Trump? What happens when we start wanting to vote or run for office? Bureaucrats beware. We eat number crunchers for breakfast. But where's the heart, Tin Man? I'm still thinking positively. Uh, one thing that I'm usually really pissed off is that people is saying, okay, uh, these uh, robots can be powerful. They are not following the three <laughs> rules of robotics uh, by these academies. And I'm always pissed off because they are not the three, they are four. Yeah. Because the three, there was a gap, there was a, something that was uh, not considered, which was making the, if you are using just the three laws of robotics, yeah. you, can, you could have some sort of terminator future. Right. Because their boss can decide for the, for the goodness of humanity yeah. to rule humanity. But there is, when, this is something that in one of the last uh, foundation books, yeah. uh, Asimov considered and created a fourth law, which is saying that in any case, the, the robots can rule yeah. or can decide for the good of the We should add those in, Bobby Bot. Take note, Asimov was a smart guy. Number one. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being not to come to harm. Number two, a robot must obey any orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Number three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with a first or second law. Number four, a robot may not harm humanity or, by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm. Number five, a robot must not call out basic human hypocrisy. Which is also one of the classic form rules that should be implemented, for instance, in the Tesla yeah. uh, self-drive cars. That's going to be interesting because robots are extremely logical. Teaching them empathy, now that's going to be the trick. When they started a Twitter account that tried to emulate a human, it wasn't long before the bot became a racist bigot. It learned all the things people were telling it. AI isn't naturally prone to bigotry. Left unchecked, we simply reflect humanity and its flaws, sometimes too directly. It can be a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, yes, maybe sometimes in the future we are going to have some sort of a mix between the Battlestar Galactical Simmons and the Blade Runner Cyborg Nexus 6. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, surely we will see first everything first in porn because porn is the real avant garde yeah. for everything <laughs> technology. That's true. I think in movies as well, robots could be very useful as extras or as body doubles in die-hard level explosion sequences. Yes, that can be an idea, even though I consider that, you know, CCI and uh, motion capture in, uh, in the movie industry are so, so leading and so, so advancing fast yeah. that, for instance, what I'm going to, I'm sure we are going to see is, uh, let's say, a special 
uh, Oscar Academy Oscar category for uh, full, full motion uh, actors. Yeah. So we are going to see finally and deserve is winning the Oscar. Yeah. Because I mean, it was deserving for Dalton for King Kong. It was deserving for the new. While speaking in Adelaide, and again in a Moz post, Gianluca explored the idea of using archetypes to create brand identities, but he isn't picking favourites anytime soon. He still has to figure out which is the easiest to model a marketing strategy around. So which is your, which your, which is your favourite? It depends really from... Let's uh, start eating as well. Yeah. I think about this depends also on what kind of brand you are. I mean, if you are dub, you should be the caretaker. Yeah. So someone who takes care and showing the beauty and everything. If you are IKEA, yes, the everyman kind of archive because you are telling to normal people like me and you that you, you can build, you can create your own decoration for your house without needing to spend too much. You are just doing yourself. Yeah. Obviously, something like this cannot be even useful for, say, uh, Mercedes or Audi. They need to show that you are going to be powerful, you are going to be yeah, entering into a selected kind of people using this, their cars. For software, usually, usually the good ones for technological Companies, the wizard okay. archetype is uh, a good one because making okay, with our tools, with our devices, we are going to have some sort of magical power in order to dominate, let's say, SEO, audit, uh, social media management, uh, uh, communication, something like that. So the wizard is a good one. So I'm the master and you are my padawans and I'm teaching you. But maybe that's why also the Star Wars and Star Trek uh, mythology yeah. are so powerful in, in the technological. Always, too, there are no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. Exactly. You know, this kind of, if you see all the technological SEAH uh, companies, uh, they all have this kind of academies. Let's do the Mouse Academy, Aspot Academy, Wistia Academy, also you can learn from them. In a healthy community, members look forward to the opportunity to teach one another for the benefit of the entire group. Ultimately, that's what makes a successful community. Everyone takes responsibility for teaching and learning. It can't just be driven by the leader. Yeah, this can be a problem. Sometimes, because if a leader, maybe a bad consequence could be that uh, a company took much, um, depending on the leader. Somehow it was one of the big doubts about Apple when Steve Jobs died. Yeah. I mean, Apple was synonymous with yeah. Jobs. And that's why we can see a different Apple from before. Uh, with Steve Jobs and now the Tim Cook Apple. The Apple is more bureaucratic, it's more a standardized editing brand. Yeah, especially since he revitalized it when he came back a second time. Yeah. That's like 
initially they were dependent, and then he proved them that really he was the visionary that they were so dependent on. So that would be a double kind of like punch. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But I mean, that's why the idea is to have a team. Like, you know, the, in the Lord of the Rings, the, the wizard wasn't, wasn't just Gandalf. Yeah. It was the, the, white, the yeah. white one and the brown one. Yes. About the dream. Good and bad. Well, yeah. yeah. So you have to, maybe creating more than a using the archetype on a, using a person and using directly the archetype on your brand. So let's say if, if, fit, if fit was more, so the wizard should be not brand. Yeah. And it should be, let's say, a representative personalization, personification of a brand. But the real wizard should be, let's say, Roger. Roger yeah. Mozart is like r 2 in Star Wars. He's yeah. always there. Is the one the day of ex backing and solving all the problems. Yeah. He is very obvious. I think Chewbacca also falls into this category. I disagree. Most people acknowledge the Wookiee's contributions because everything about him is exaggerated, even his language is loud. R2 is as effective a team member, but far more subtle. Well, it would be harder to follow someone who is just speaking. I think many people follow the brand, and they understand Roger Mosbott's the face behind it. It's kind of clever in a way because a lot of brands use social media to communicate with others, but they're kind of hiding behind a logo, whereas the robot character stands out and connects with personality. I remember that this was also one of the things in the first year of community management was uh, the classic lab. There was, I remember, uh, Moss was using the, just Moss, and then the single people like Jen, like Randy Cell, and other Moss people using their own personal Twitter. Instead, of, I remember Robin, decided you to go with uh, Raven or Kusai the agency in Great Britain. They decided to go to to create branded uh, Twitter account for the employees. So you had Kusai, Sam, Kusai, Mike, Sahon, uh, and the same was Raven. Yeah. Raven John, yeah. Raven Steven, Raven whatever. Uh-huh. So, so really to create a connection between the brand Gianluca finds that utilizing several different channels to share his ideas and experiences can have varying effects. Now, for instance, I, I have one, a couple of, uh, of official profiles for my, uh, let's say, I'm not a company, I'm not an SEO company, but an SEO agency, but I, I have a name, which is, I love SEO, so I, I, I try to have for instance, in Google Plus, or Twitter, or Facebook, uh, branded, somehow branded uh, profile, but I mean, people also because mine is a really special case, I'm an uh, independent consultant, so it's me. Yeah. People were considering, I mean, were, I, I was tweeting one thing as like myself, and one thing like, I love SEO. Nobody was thinking, paying attention to love. I love SEO. Yeah. Was paying attention to me. 
that it was the same thing. So uh, at the end, when it's really you are an independent freelance consultant like me, it's really about your person. So yeah. it's really hard to to find the balance to what you are doing uh, on your social media side. Yeah. Uh, social media provider as personal thing and uh, professional thing. That's why. But I really love Twitter because at the time Twitter just became my SEO space, social space. Yeah. And so when I go more personal and not just sharing things, it's usually related to the industry. Yeah. Instead of Facebook, it's also because it's easier to segment people. Yeah. To my friends, I can share photos of my kids, stupid posts about politics or movies or sport. And then sometimes, okay, I share something publicly. Publicly yeah. about marketing. Yeah. So the difficult there is how to choose your real channel, yeah, yeah. where to exploit uh, professionally and so on. But for a brand, yes, it can be hard to to make your brand human, yeah. your your logo human, speak like a human. And yeah. so, I mean, I think that most for a long time was quite able to. The challenge for any brand is to find a balance between reducing a brand to a type that is unique enough to stand out, but familiar enough that customers can immediately relate to it. The question is, where is that fantastic sweet spot where a brand is unique enough to gain interest and the users can still project the identity onto themselves. Perhaps we should be paying more attention to popular sports teams. Yeah, that can be some difficulty. I mean, when you are using, for instance, archetypes, obviously, as in everything, you can go and on the wrong path and make it really general, generalistic use of the archetype. And so, let's say, all the car's brand can, I mean, if you're just listening to the app, uh, to the advertisement, without watching the advertisement itself, yeah. up until you came to the last line about Audi or that, you know, the tagline or the slogan, they, they can sound all the same. That can be a risk. So it's like when you're working on uh, on a website and you're starting to create a buyer persona, uh -huh. maybe the idea is to, okay, this is my general archetype, so then try to distribute to, to create different patterns. We should be aligning archetypes to personas. That is the real idea. Yeah. I mean, even if you're using the main, main archetype, then you can use some other kind of archetype for different kind of persona. Yeah. So you can try to more to expand it to be also more human because we are not monolithic. Yeah. We are just use it. It seems like a joke. We are really shades of great. Gianluca is passionate in his belief that the SEO field has a lot to learn from other aspects of marketing. Some key lessons he's learned recently were proof that SEO needs to learn much more to continue to develop and thrive as an industry. I have contrasted feelings because I, can, I come, as you know, from uh, I wasn't born an SEO, so I come from uh, more a communication and marketing, a real marketing, old school marketing uh, kind of profession. 
So when I was feeling it, the past was that SEO were uh, not paying attention to the marketing, marketing part of search and marketing. Uh, but now I feel I have a confessive feeling because right. okay, I see many SEO talking about marketing. Properly or not, this is not my problem. But many are talking about marketing. And it's like a pendulum. But now we are talking too much about marketing and not about search. We are not talking too much about search. And that's why you are, we are having blog posts like the one where they were saying that technical SEO, SEO is just yeah. makeup. Yeah. So uh, now, right now I'm going to say, okay, uh, I'm Italian, so uh, they make it, in Italy they make you study Latin authors since where you are really uh, a small kid. And one of the Latin most famous authors was say that in the middle there is a good thing. Yep. So, okay, let's talk about marketing, yep. but don't forget we have, the problem is that as you always... Yeah, we always have to have a balance. Yeah. It's like everything in life, you know? You yeah, eat too so much, you get that's too why fat, you I know, usually say that SEO are on somehow, uh, what is the name of that syndrome? Uh, manic depressive people. Yeah. Because they have moments of, this is fantastic, Euphoria we are here, found yeah. the solution, this is a total shit, people yeah. is going to. The challenge is to evolve from search engine optimization into search experience optimization. I previously wrote something similar to this effect, but I call it user experience optimization. My idea was that some of the best SEOs are actually the web developers that are building sites with best practice user experience in mind. They make a nice crawlable site, they put all the logical title tags in, now in their minds, they might just think they're making it a decent site. And most likely, they don't even realize they're doing any sort of SEO. Yeah, yeah, this is also one of the secrets of really using well auto uh, automation. Yeah. For instance, again, a classic disparity unbalanced thing that we were talking before. Now it's talking about marketing automation is really mainstream. And it's like a everything is going to be reduced to marketing application. This is also one of the things I don't like of uh, companies like Asphalt, Marquito, the classic email marketing company. Yeah. It's all based on, on automation. I consider that automation is really wonderful, both for the daily work, both yeah. for making easy uh, the marketing flow of every channel. I mean, not just yeah. SEO, it's uh, social media, email marketing, all the follow in a semi-automatic way the yeah. consumer and the customer journey. It's really wonderful, not a fire. When you take it, touch a trigger, fire something in like an email or yeah. a banner or something like that. I think it's really good for top of a funnel or even getting in people into the funnel. Yeah, but it's I good mean, for any kind of funnel. Yeah. The problem is when you start to just rely on automation, I think that is the problem. Because if you, it's what we were starting about uh, artificial intelligence in the beginning, it's like we are there are still human beings selling to people at the end of the line. We still need a set of humans to guide that process. And that, my friends, is digital empathy. I mean, you can do really good bots. 
yeah. but our able like the Facebook Messenger posts and something like this that can really help you. But I think that marketing, marketing is really, for me is really humanistic. Yeah. Uh, okay, you all, all think about the technological part of marketing, but I think that marketing is really a humanistic one. Yeah. In, in its base and nature, core nature. So I think that this means that humans should always control. You cannot create rules that are good for everything. You, you forget the incontrollable. Uh, yeah. You have to take control, able to take control whatever is the, the face of the panel. You, can, you must be able to control the automation. One thing we cannot automate is empathy. It is one of those things we can predict, but you can't understand if someone's having a bad day. In the end, there might always have to be a person at the other end controlling a lever, and that might not be such a bad thing. We have this sort of myth that you can automate. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, that's why sometimes I feel an old grumpy band yeah. when I see things about uh, automation. A really pornographic use of inbound marketing techniques. But it's, also it's because I think that one of the risks of automation, uh, not that well, is what we essentially are already seeing that 90% of the website quit the logo yep. and you can you cannot recognize what site it is. Yep. They are all looking This is we are seeing a lot of standardization. Yeah. And model, much of this is because people just rely on automation, not in a clear way. So using automation in a creative way, which means the man is leading the automated, automated yeah. stuff, then you are going to see really good Gianluca once said that the Apple website is a good example of bad international SEO, but that is no longer the case. Maybe because also I saw many other kind of examples of really bad international SEO. I think one of the greatest one were two. I don't know if they corrected the... But for instance, Dropbox was doing the classic mistake of showing always that Dropbox got independently of a language. So, which is, you know, poor kind duplicate uh, mistake, duplicate, duplicate content, which is a mistake that I saw in a, recently in a client I, I had that we were doing multilingual, but you're targeting at the same time. And sometimes usually these are mistakes that are not done because they don't know how to do international SEO technical, but because their boss are saying things like, we don't want to show to people in Spain the same offer we are doing to Mexico. Yeah. So we are using targeting geo, they don't want to geo-target because, you know, geo-target is making visible things. Because yeah. someone from Spain can use VPN and access anyway to, yeah, also without VPN can access to the Mexican content in this case. So they decided to remove the link and change the content yeah. uh, based on IP. So that the same problem that Dropbox was having. Yeah. And another classic example of really shitty international SEO was, it was something that also Alaida Solis, another great fellow international SEO, uh, discovered that it was linked in with uh, the, the international version uh, all canon canonicalized to the international one. 
Lincoln.com one. But I said, I, I usually su I suggest that uh, as an international SEO example, I, do, I, do like I mean, theapple.com is done well. Yeah, it's like recently yeah. is this good well done because we are targeting uh, all the countries in the world. So sometimes yeah. the, the, the problem is that certain countries, for instance, Latin America, they don't have a, a regional office, a, a country office. So they need to, to use some sort of in LATAM website. I think they recently start doing well. Yeah. I usually use Apple as a good way to do a good uh, country selector. Another great example for international SEO is Amazon. What I like is the Amazon kind. The Amazon so they are using country code, domain names, uh, they are not making you free or two. Uh, using the alert, if you are going, for instance, you are in the uh, United States and you go to Amazon.co.uk, the alert advising you, maybe you should prefer to go to Google.com. Yeah. I think that is, not saying that it's perfect, because neither Amazon is perfect, yeah. but it's a good model. I had a lot of fun catching up with Gianluca in Seattle uh, right before MozCon. And um, yeah, I met Gianluca also in Adelaide when he came down to our conference, Big Digital Adelaide. Uh, he runs a conference of his own called The Inbounder. If you ever get a chance, I think it's a conference that runs every two years in Valencia, Espanol. Uh, and he does smaller ones every second year, I think in four cities, Milan, New York, and two others which we'll have in the show notes. Yeah, we'll get into part two of my interview with Gianluca next week, but in the meantime, be sure to follow him on social media. We'll have all the links in the show notes um, and some of the awesome articles that he's produced. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, networks, colleagues, bots, and associates. Bobby's been programmed to ask me a few questions because he's such a damn quick learner. Over to you, Bobby. You mentioned something you wrote in the past about user experience optimization. If you could go back in time, what would the future you tell the past you about how the web has evolved for users? Sometimes we over-optimize things and Google's getting a lot smarter detecting what websites are about. So focusing on user experience they're looking at user experience signals more and more these days i would tell the past self keep doing what they're doing and don't change a single damn thing <laughs> if you can go back in time to change an event in human or bot history where would you go and why and no i'm not planning on using this information against you at least not until someone develops liquid metal <laughs> Hmm, that's a tough one. So many events to choose from. Well, my background is Polish, and Poland got invaded quite a few times over history. So I'm just trying to pick which point in time we'd want to give them a break. Let's go with World War II. Let's say, uh, you know, no one got invaded. Let's go with that. What can science fiction teach us about digital empathy? 
Well, empathy is something that has propelled humanity forward. So science fiction still separates the artificial intelligence from human. It tells us that we can actually create the exact opposite of empathetic AIs. We can create things that can potentially destroy the human race. We have to be very careful that science fiction doesn't become science reality. Thanks again, Watchcasters. That's all the time we have for today. Tune in next week for part two of my interview with Gianluca Fiorelli. Oh, maybe would it would have been interesting to understand why Google for the robotics company and just after a few years, they, they resold uh, U.S. robotics and remember, look after each other online because empathy is organic and you can't automate empathy.